I'm Kelly. And welcome to The Millennial Minimalist. Today we are speaking with minimalism thought leader Courtney Carver. She is the author of Soulful Simplicity, How Living With Less Can Lead to So Much More, and the creator of Minimalist Fashion Challenge Project 333, which involves dressing with 33 items or less for three months. Courtney wrote Soulful Simplicity to share her story and inspire others to discover the joy in less. Like many of us today, she was overworked, underwhelmed, stressed, and thought she needed more to be happy. But all of this changed. In 2006, she was diagnosed with multiple sclerosis, and from there forward, she decided to remove all the stresses in her life and design a simpler every day. She says, simplicity is the way back to love. She runs BeMoreWithLess.com, where she offers e-courses and advice to others hoping to live more simply. Courtney's story and Project 333 have been featured in O, the Oprah magazine, among notable publications, wellness blogs, and podcasts. In our discussion, we hope to inspire you to discover what's most important to you and learn the power of simplicity to relieve stress, improve your health, and be more with less. Hello. Hi, Courtney. Hi there. Hi, it's Lauren and Kelly. How are you? Good. Nice to talk to you both. Absolutely. We're so excited to speak with you today. Yeah, it should be fun. Yeah. Uh, so we, we both read your book, Soulful Simplicity, and we're so excited to basically share more of your story with our listeners and your advice on how to live a more simple, meaningful life and where you see the minimalism movement going. Okay. Yeah. So uh, Lauren and I have studied quite a few minimalist thought leaders like The Minimalists, uh, Colin Wright, uh, and Joshua Becker, some of our favorites. And we realized that each of them moved towards minimalism because of a life trigger. And in your book, you discuss your former high-stress lifestyle, working as an advertising sales exec, and how being diagnosed with MS influenced you to slow down and remove the stresses in your life. Would you say that your diagnosis was the initial trigger that inspired you to make a lifestyle change? It definitely was. And it, it, def- it didn't trigger me to simplify right away. That really wasn't on my radar. But in doing research about MS and other autoimmune conditions, I knew I wanted to eliminate as much stress as I could from my life. And while I wasn't sure what that would look like, I knew I had to get started, and after a while, I noticed that my approach to reducing stress lied in simplicity. Wow. So, I mean, that's interesting. Like, I'm curious how you then chose to move towards minimalism. Like, for me, for example, I would say just over a year ago, I felt kind of lost, and I saw minimalism as an outlet to removing the clutter so I could refocus my thoughts. How did you how did you choose to to move towards minimalism? It's really been a process of kind of peeling back the layers and starting with, you know, doing something as simple as moving, removing some stressful foods from my diet and then looking at another stressful area of my life and simplifying that. So for me the next step was looking at my debt and then it was the stuff. And for me looking at it it was all from a health perspective at first, but I started to notice all of these other benefits in terms of, you know, more presence, mm-hmm. uh, you know, being more aware of my surroundings, being able to stay engaged in a full conversation without thinking about what was going on um, in some other part of my life. And the more I noticed those benefits, the more excited I got, a, got about it and just kept going. Um, so yeah, it was never a, you know, a firm decision to simplify or move towards minimalism, but it really was just kind of an unfolding of having more time, attention and space for what really mattered to me. And I, I liked that a lot. Yeah. And really interesting is that Lauren, she's always kind of lived very simply. Uh, and so for me, I, I, I saw her living this way and realized that, Hey, you know, this isn't great way to basically step back and rethink where you are in your life and make those habit changes that will move you in a positive direction. And so that's that's why we decided to to, to kind of move towards minimalism. And so I think Lauren has a question specifically about how about triggers and 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 from your research and your experience, you know, what's really 
influence people to want to adopt this lifestyle. Like, yeah, you, you say that um, your diagnosis was kind of your trigger. What do you think are other people's trigger that motivates them or influences them to want to kind of move towards simplicity or minimalism? I think it's all across the board. I mean, I love what you were both saying about how you really stopped and tried to refocus and decide what was important to you. For so many people, including myself, you know, when we get caught up in just the day-to-day life and work and overspending and all of a sudden we're kind of on this autopilot and we forget that not only did we create this life that we're living um, that might not really resonate with us anymore, but also we can take a minute and ask the questions. So I think more people are giving themselves permission to ask questions like, how do I really want to spend my time? Or what do I really want my life to be like? Where I know, at least for me, I I never asked those questions. I was just chasing a paycheck. I mean, I went into debt when I was 18 years old, and it seemed like all of my decisions just revolved around money for so long. But until I could recognize that I had a choice and could make a change, starting by asking some of these questions, um, it just kept going. So I think for other people, it could be a medical issue. It could be that people are realizing that they don't have any time for their families uh, or to spend time with the people they really enjoy spending time with. Uh, it could be a, a money situation where, again, somebody is really interested in paying off debt. And while they're paying off debt, they're not shopping and they're starting to see some of the benefits of not bringing in more clutter. Uh, so I think it really runs the gamut. Right. We, Lauren and I, sometimes we joke about how, you know, as, as, you know, with the minimalist mindset, we are no longer tempted by those things. And it's true. Once you recenter your focus on the things that are meaningful to you, you, you don't want those items anymore because you know that they're either, you know, not a need or they're just going to add to the clutter and stress. Yeah, Yeah, although I would say, I mean, and maybe it's because I was at it for a lot longer than you, but I still get tempted for sure. When I am tired, um, frustrated, bored, like in one of those kind of emotional funks, I might get tempted by that like urge to just numb that pain by shopping or buying something new. Or sometimes I'll see somebody talking about something online and I'll think, oh, that's so cool. Maybe I should look into that. The difference is before I used to just immediately go and take care of it and buy whatever I wanted. And now there's just a big pause in between and it doesn't lead to actually purchasing the item. But it's not that I don't get tempted from time to time. Yeah, it's so nice um, how with simplicity and minimalism, it makes you so much more reflective and be able to step back and ask yourself questions, which we don't do enough of. Yeah, and Lauren, yeah. we also we also talk about uh, having a want list. So Lauren, uh, I think you also mentioned this on your, in your book as well. We kind of write out all these items that you know we see and we want and we desire. But and Lauren has a has a has a going list, and she says you know you don't almost don't want to buy those items anymore because you just you step back and you let a few days fly by and you realize, hey, I don't think I need that anymore. And I know in your book, you mentioned add all those items up and see how much money you saved. (laughs) Yeah, over the course of a month, it's pretty, it can be pretty shocking, at least, and, and really encouraging when you see that, you know, there's $100 or $500 that I would have spent if I wasn't being mindful about it. And I didn't spend it. Yeah, exactly. Uh, you okay? So I want also you mentioned um, how minimalism is almost like a lifestyle template. You can basically redesign the life that you want. Uh, and in your book, you discuss a hand-on-heart exercise. Could you give our audience a background on that? Sure. I think part of the simplicity process that we might not think about right away because we like to think about like the the easy stuff, like the organized bookshelves, the clean countertops, the tidy sock drawers, whatever it is. Um, And and those are all very nice benefits. But one of the best ones is having time and attention to remember who you are and to reconnect with yourself and to learn how to trust yourself. Uh, And that's something that we 
underestimate the importance of, I think. So this heart practice is something that I do to come back to myself on almost a daily basis so that when I am making decisions, when I'm deciding whether to say yes or say no, I, I can trust what my heart wants instead of overthinking it or questioning myself. I know what's best for me, uh, but it took some time to make that connection. And so the heart practice, you can start this anytime, anywhere. It's so simple. Uh, you just sit down. And I recommend setting a timer in the beginning, especially if you know, you're the kind of person that might be uncomfortable with knowing when the end is. You know, sometimes when we meditate or do something like this, we're like, are we done? Is it almost over? So instead <laughs> of thinking about that, just set a timer for five minutes, sit down, take a nice deep breath in, nice breath out, close your eyes, and then put one hand. I put my right hand on my heart, and then I put my left hand over my right hand, and I just feel the warmth of my skin. I listen to the beating of my heart, and I just make that time for connection. After a while, I'll expand that to ask questions. So if I am debating something or thinking about something or just curious, I'll ask. I'll just ask questions and see what comes up. Sometimes it's nothing, um, but sometimes it's something. So that consistency is so important. Just a little bit every day, it you'll be amazed at how how much more you trust yourself. Yeah, it's so beautiful. Yeah, I was just going to say it would make you trust yourself more, which is, that's so beautiful. So you, this is something you do daily? Yes. Wow. Oh, and that's so a reminder amazing. that minimalism requires constant maintenance. That's something we also like to stress. It's not like you just wake up and become a minimalist and you declutter your closet and you're all, all of a sudden a minimalist. It's it's a lifestyle and it requires constant maintenance. So I think this is a really smart practice. It's very meditative. Yeah, it's really nice to do first thing in the morning when you wake up or even right before you go to bed, especially if you're used to checking your phone right before you go to sleep. Yes. Just re replace <laughs> this. Say tonight, instead of checking my phone, I'm going to check in with my heart. Ah, oh, that's awesome. No, that's such a great idea. Yeah, that's so nice. So on your website, you have a course called Dress With Less. Um, it, it talks about how you can start building a capsule wardrobe. Can you just tell us a little bit? about that and why it's so beneficial? Sure. Well, the course is based on Minimalist Fashion Challenge Project 333, which I created back in 2010 to get a handle on my closet. I, Even though I had been simplifying my life and decluttering in other areas of my house, I backburnered the closet because I liked to shop for clothes and accessories and things like that. Um, but it was finally time to address the mess, so to speak, and I wanted some kind of challenge. So I promised myself and the internet that I would dress with 33 items or less for three months, including clothing, shoes, accessories, and jewelry. And a lot of people joined in and did the, did the challenge on their own. And then this course came, I think it was a couple of years later, um, just for people who wanted more guidance and instruction. Uh, so you can do the, do the program without the course. All the information is on my website. Uh, but if you want to have, I guess, somebody to hold your hand through the process, the course is the answer to that. Wow. I could have benefited from that. I actually just completed Project 333. So How'd it, go? Uh, it was quite the challenge. I would say that, yeah, so I, my last day was yesterday and Congrats. I just want to keep living this way. It feels so good. I, so I'll tell you what I did is I ended up choosing those 33 items and removing all the extras by purchasing something that I could, you know, fold everything under in this little box that I placed under my bed so I didn't have to look at it every day. So that when I go so into my smart. closet, yeah, so that when I go into my closet, I like to tell my friends that it almost looks like you're walking into Club Monaco because, <laughs> you know, it's, it's beautifully laid out clothing. It, it's the perfect capsule wardrobe. And honestly, first of all, nobody noticed. 
Nobody no noticed or asked. Yeah. yeah, nobody. Lauren and I are known for wearing wearing tons of black and white. However, <laughs> uh, nobody noticed. And I would say that the and I don't I have many shoes. Like I'm not a typical girl that way, so it wasn't that challenging for me in that perspective. But that being said, Project Three 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 made me realize that I I have enough and I don't want more. 33 is actually more than enough for Lauren, which is Yeah, funny. but you don't need more. <laughs> <laughs> Lauren, Lauren's very, very simple. Uh, a little bit more challenging for me, but now I just feel, oh, it just, it just reduced decision-making every day, and it just brought so much clarity in, in, in my life, especially in my fashion, so... Yeah, and That's you, great. You were saying how when you had initially done it, you told people after, and they couldn't believe that you had only done it with those few items, like no one had actually noticed at your work. Yeah. Yes, that's exactly what happened. Um, and it was very freeing to realize that nobody cares what I'm wearing. So they probably don't care a lot about other things that I used to worry about what they thought. Um, so often, you know, we, we base some of our decisions based on what we think other people will think about it. They're not thinking about it. So we can kind of let that go, which is, again, super freeing. Do you still practice this challenge every three months? I sure do. It's been nine, a little over nine years. Oh no, it's sneaking up on nine years in the fall. So yes, I do. I do uh, 33 items every three months. And in fact, this, so I ended at the end of December, the fall season. And when I went into the winter season, I was working on a book deadline and had some other things going on. So I really didn't have a lot of time to think about doing any kind of switch out. So I changed two or three items and that was it. So it's probably the first time I hadn't, usually I don't change out more than 50% of the items, but this was the first time I had only changed out a couple and it's just fine. I'm not missing other clothes. I, I have enough. I have enough. That's great. Did you, were there any habit changes that you found that you had to make in order to keep up with project three, three, three? Well, of course, I had to break my shopping habit, uh, <laughs> which that, you know, just taking those three months to say, all right, for the next three months, I'm not going to buy anything new for the closet was such a relief because it just eliminates so much attention to what's on sale or, you know, what about this email I got where I can get some points if I go shopping on this certain day or even walking past stores you know, there's no temptation at that point because you've made this commitment for three months. And then after, at the end of three months, when you see that it was far less challenging than you really thought it would be, it gives you the encouragement and motivation to continue. Yeah. And sometimes this change can be overwhelming. Um, If someone was just getting started in their journey towards simplicity, what advice would you give them? I think for any anything, whether you're simplifying your life or making other changes, make big change small. So if you are going to pay off tens of thousands of dollars in debt, for instance, just start with the smallest possible step for you. Um, That might be reading a book about becoming debt free. It might be getting all of your finances onto you know, one document so that you can really see where you're starting from. Ask for help, you know, just one thing and then do the next thing and then the next thing. I think so often we want this big plan that will take care of us from the beginning to the end of the journey. But when we're making these big changes like becoming debt free or simplifying our homes or decluttering our lives, they're not things that take two months or five days. We're talking about years in some cases and things in life change over those years. So the plan can't be set in stone. We have to be able to be willing to change our path if we need to. Yeah. I think we really need to ask ourselves why, you know, right now minimalism has become a really hot topic Uh, And we argue because of the Netflix series Tidying Up with Marie Kondo, which I'm sure you're very familiar with. And we we love how this show like showcases the benefits of decluttering. But we we also think that or like to stress that it doesn't really solve the root of the problem. It doesn't solve the, you know, those who want to declutter to ask themselves why. 
we really think it's important that anybody who wants to get started on this journey, write down their goals and their values and, and think about whether they're willing to change or adjust their mindset to or, in order to make this change. Because a lot of people are a little bit fixed uh, and that you need to be flexible uh, in that in that regard in order to make those lifestyle changes. So in your opinion, uh, what do you think of this show, uh, this program, and do you think these individuals will create lasting change? Well, I've only watched one episode of the show. Okay. And I mean, it feels to me like uh, kind of a, an organizing show, right? Where somebody comes in and helps you get yeah. your stuff in order, which I love. I think it's it's very inspiring and any any step in that direction I appreciate. But it, it also reminds me of all the times that I did like spring cleaning or decluttering after the holidays. And then I'd repeat the process every single year. Exactly. As soon as I felt like I had gotten to where I wanted to be, I'd fill up the spaces again. Um, so I didn't have that why or that solid reason to change until um, my MS diagnosis. Uh, my heart wasn't in the game. And so I haven't watched all the episodes, so I can't say this for sure. But if their hearts are not in the game, then no, it's not going to last. Yeah. Um, but if, if they are, then sure, it's a great way to get started. Yeah, Lauren was joking when we were watching the show. We both love the show because we think anything that involves uh, decluttering and organizing is a good thing. And a lot of our mutual friends are so excited to start decluttering, going into their closet. So we're telling them about Project 333. But Lauren was was laughing. She's like, oh, it's just, it's like, you know, a yo-yo diet. You know, you lose all this weight and then the next month you go back to how you were, right? So exactly. <laughs> that's the hope is that it's not that way. Uh, but I'm glad that you watched one of the episodes because I'm sure you, you may have you may have noticed that Marie suggests um, keeping items that, of course, add a function to our everyday or, as she likes to say, spark joy. Can you share advice on how to best navigate whether items spark enough joy? Again, I think it's a great way to get started and to get motivated and to have fun with it, just like any challenge. But I think there are other questions that we might need to be asking of our stuff, especially if we're talking about you know, really going for it, like decluttering for good and living with much less than we're used to. I'm not sure if the, the spark joy question will take us all the way there. It might be great for the first pass or the second pass of decluttering, but then I think you need to start asking questions like, is one enough? Do I, do I really need more than one of this thing? So for instance, sunglasses or handbags. Um, or could one, would one work? Um, because if I have two handbags, I don't know if I'm going to be able to pick which one brings more joy. That's a lot of pressure to put on your stuff or right. a lot of power to give your stuff. Uh, when instead, I think if you could be a little more practical in the questioning and, and even maybe it's not about your stuff. Maybe it's how do I want to spend my time? Do I want to spend my time taking care of this stuff or would I rather let it go and be able to have room in my day to go for a walk or um, do something else that fulfills me more than this thing that while it does bring me joy, maybe it's taking up some of my time and some of my space that I don't want to waste on it. Right. Absolutely. Um, I want to bring up your book again, though. You talk about uh, resetting to zero in the book, and I love the concept of it, and I applied it to my life. Um, can you explain what that is and, you know, kind of what inspired it and how you apply it to your life as well? Yeah, this is actually Colin Wright's recommendation to reset to zero, where, you know, once a day or once a week, you make sure all the dishes are washed and put away, the laundry is done and put away everything is kind of back to its neutral state. And then you can go into your next day or next week or next month, however you decide to implement this without that anxiety of things building up and, and having lots of places to direct your attention. So I read about it um, on his site and have shared it on my blog and then in the book because I think it's so powerful. Uh, and I like that. I like going to sleep at night with everything, you know, in order. 
on the flip side, I'm not a very organized person <laughs> and at all. I'm really not. And so that's great to with, hear because it's relatable. <laughs> yeah. Well, living with less serves me because I have less to organize. So I have less to reset to zero, but there are of course things like I, a human, I live with things and like kind of putting everything back in its proper place on a regular basis. Um, but not in the name of being organized, just in the name of resetting, I guess. When it comes to the tools and individuals in our lives that demand our time, like our smartphones, social media, and our relationships, how do you manage these to be less reactive? Uh, It's been a work in progress for sure and something that I'm always experimenting with and trying to pay attention to. So, And sometimes if I am not paying attention to it because I'm wrapped up in a project, I'll notice after the fact that, okay, too much phone, like too much outside information coming in and I just have to shut it down and take a 24 hour break, which I recommend like regular digital sabbaticals. Uh, and then also, you know, setting some boundaries around when you're visiting social media. So for instance, um, in one of my courses that I offer, we have a Facebook group And in the beginning of the year, it's always very active because people are just joining and getting to know each other. And it it can feel very overwhelming if you're constantly reacting to every message that comes through. And so I recommend to everyone in the course to turn off all notifications, to not worry about it if it comes up in your Facebook feed, but instead to schedule, you know, one time a week where you go to the actual group, engage, connect, do your thing, and then get out. Um, so get out of Facebook and into your life, get out of your inbox and back into your life, keep as few apps on your phone as possible. Um, that really works for me. Removing email from my phone was a a huge shift, uh, because I noticed that I would check it, but I wouldn't do anything with it except put it on my mind. So there I was thinking about stuff that I wasn't doing anything about until I got to my computer And then I thought, why am I even looking at this stuff? I mean, I'm not a, you know, in this field where I need to give an immediate response or something is so pressing that I have to be notified every moment of the day. I could check my email once a day or even less and everybody would be okay. So, yeah, so you found yourself looking at your email, but not actually taking action on the email until you went into your computer. Right, just consuming it, just taking in the information, which was very heavy. It was too much. So that Uh, is, yeah, yeah, so that's very relatable. And something that Lauren and I incorporated into our life is the bullet journal. Are you familiar with the bullet journal? I am. Yeah. So, uh, and a lot of our listeners have been really excited about the bullet journal as a way to basically track our daily tasks and our future goals. And so that we can look back and track our past accomplishments. We love to say that, you know, writing down your daily tasks and crossing them out, it just, you feel accomplished, yeah, you know? It's so satisfying. <laughs> it's, it's, Lord, yeah. It's so <laughs> satisfying. You just feel like, hey, like this is what I done. This is what I did today. You don't feel like life is just passing you by because you're being intentional. And interesting enough, I mean, it was, I think it was in December. Yeah, it was December. One of our um, favorite authors, uh, Jesse Isler, uh, he posted on Instagram showing himself holding this giant calendar. And he explained to his followers that it was his way of mapping out his goals for 2019. And it was funny, um, but it just goes to show it's so important uh, that we do that. That way we can stay on track and be more intentional with how we're spending our time every single day. Sure. And it's nice because if you're not doing well at something, you can even go back and see where you've gone wrong too. Like it's kind of works both ways, which is amazing. Um, You also talk about in the book why it's so important that we do things that we don't want to do. So can you talk about what some of those things might be and how to get ourselves to do them? Yes. I think it is important that we do things we don't want to do so that we can do the things we want to do. Uh, And some examples that come to mind, uh, for me anyway, would be like um, having a smoothie every day. I don't always want to have a smoothie. Sometimes I want to have junk food or bacon and eggs and a Bloody Mary, but I don't do that. 
because I want to feel healthy and be healthy. And so I eat what I know is best for me, even though I don't always want to do that. Uh, another example would be working out. Um, I'm not always like, ooh, yay, let's go work out and sweat and uh, do sit-ups. But I do it because I know it makes me feel good. Uh, and it's funny with any of these things, and those are probably two of the most simplistic examples, but once I get started in whatever this thing is that I don't want to do, I find the joy in it and keep going. But I kind of have to trick my mind into getting started and moving forward. Absolutely. And just referring back to the bullet journal, it's a way of like basically writing down our goals and taking every day to get closer to those long-term goals, which can sometimes be very tiring and stuff that you don't want to do. Do you use a bullet journal? I have used a bullet journal before and now I do um, kind of bullet journal-ish. Okay. So it's not full-on bullet journaling, um, but I, you know, map out each month. And then I also don't keep a daily to-do list anymore, but a weekly list. I find it to be much more reasonable um, in terms of my expectations for what I can accomplish. Uh, I used to overestimate what I could get done in a day, but if I plan it out for a week, it's much more manageable. Yeah, I felt like with mine, it took me a little while to trial and error it and find what worked for me. But Yeah, she found that it was almost overwhelming. I felt overwhelmed at the beginning with it. She would just pack her I would just fill it up with too much. But I'm like you, I kind of turned it more into, you know, what do I need to get done and simplified it, basically. So it it works for me now. Um, You also talked about in Soulful Simplicity that before your transition, you tried to prove yourself by what you accomplished, owned, or said. Um, Can you just talk about how that's changed and what success looks like for you now? Yeah, I think I... You know, sort of when you were talking about how good it feels to check things off the list, I really took that a step further and would use my to-do list or my calendar as proof that I was good or bad. So it was, you know, I got all these things done today, so it was a good day, and therefore I'm a good person. And on the flip side, if I didn't get everything done, which is usually what happened, I would feel like I failed at the day, and therefore... I was kind of a failure and I would prove or try to prove who I was, you know, within my work by what I accomplished, which I think is pretty common, but I would do it at home too. And so when my husband would say, how was your day? I'd say, oh, it was great. I got all these things done and I would start rattling off everything that I accomplished. That really wasn't the question um, that he was asking, but we'd find ourselves kind of going back and forth you know, comparing notes in terms of what we got done. And I use that as such a measuring stick, but it's so silly. Like it it just doesn't matter. And I I found that more and more, the less that I do, the better I do it for starters. And, and I really enjoyed kind of changing my, my measuring system. So instead of measuring who I am by what I accomplish, I measure who I am by how I experience the day, by how I treat people, by how I feel, and by the projects I'm considering, things like that. Yeah. In your book, you, you, you stress um, minimalism is about moving back to love. And you say that quite a few times, and I love that. And it's, it's really love, love for yourself, love for those around you, uh, and love for your work. It's not about the competition of uh, who's busier. Who's busier, meaning, you know, it's, it's almost a status symbol for our time these days, you know, that, that the busier you are, the more successful you will be. Um, yeah, it's not a competition in any way. I mean, I think we can get wrapped up on the other side, too. Like, who has the least amount of things? Are they the best minimalists? That's true. <laughs> that is true. It's so silly. It's just so silly. Like, we really have to be thinking about this in terms of our lives. So I, I often say, you know, we don't get rid of the stress and the busyness and the clutter to have a simple life. We do it to have a life. Right. So I actually, I actually read an article in the Atlantic and it was titled, Ugh, I'm so busy. 
uh, basically discusses um, the idea that the busier we are, the more successful or worthy we will be. What advice would you give a workaholic who is on the brink of burnout and fears that slowing down will mean falling behind? Well, I mean, first and foremost, the busier we are, the more exhausted and, and burnt out we are, not the more successful we are. And again, it's going to come back to the questions. Like if I step back and slow down, what's going to happen mm-hmm. and really kind of play those, that story out and see where your fears lie. Uh, for me, it was definitely scary in some ways to step down from a career that I had had for, for a long time. But I mean, I know I am employable, like I could go back to work if I wanted to, if this working for myself thing didn't pan out. Mm-hmm. Uh, so there's options. I think that we have to remember that, that we do have options in many cases, even when we think we don't. Absolutely. And why do you think it's so important to slow down? I think it's important to slow down for so many reasons. Um, health is number one, our health. Um, our physical health, our mental health, our spiritual health. We're not paying attention to any of it when we're rushing around like crazy and just trying to get to the next thing. Um, And then the peace of mind and presence, like really being where you are right now, you can't do that when you're busy and when you're in a hurry and when you're under pressure. It's very hard to stay in the moment when you're in that place because your mind is always somewhere else. It's always one step ahead or 10 steps ahead. So, I mean, for those reasons alone, I think it's definitely worth it to practice slowing down. And do you have to continually remind yourself to slow down? I don't anymore. At first I did, and from time to time I will. Like, I might overcommit. Uh, or think I have more bandwidth than I do, mm-hmm. but I've gotten pretty good at, at dialing that in. It's been, you know, a, a long time for me now that I've been practicing this, but for sure in the beginning, it was a lot of, Oh, wait a minute. I was supposed to slow down, but I just said yes to 50 things I don't want to do. So now I'm just much more thoughtful about what I say yes to. And I protect my time. That's, uh, the power of no is so important. Uh, I just, it's, it's so hard to say no sometimes for us in the beginning. It was, it was, it was a challenge, but so actually in a podcast, uh, t- titled wild ideas worth living by Shelby Strang- Stranger, uh, you discuss the concept of JOMO, the joy of missing out, mm-hmm. uh, the opposite of fear of missing out, which is something we often feel, uh, and how you embrace it today. How has minimalism inspired you to move towards JOMO? A few ways. So for a long time, I convinced myself that I was an extrovert and would say yes to every invitation. I would schmooze my way through meetings and events, and I would always end up feeling terrible after all of these things. And when I discovered why, um, it's because I'm an introvert and not just a little bit of an introvert, but a lot introvert. And I'm not fueled by being around lots of people and by pushing myself to be social. And so when I finally figured that out and started declining invitations more and staying in more and doing activities like reading or things that I could do on my own or with just a small group of people, I realized how happy that made me. And now when I say no to an invitation, I I almost feel like smiling because I know what I'm protecting and what my evening will be like. And it will, it'll leave me more fulfilled than the invitation. So would you, would you, do you feel like minimalism almost helped you uncover your innate identity? Of course. I mean, like I said earlier about this peeling back the layers Like it helped me peel back the layers between me and what I know is best for me. And why do you think so many of us get lost in this identity of possessions? Oh, I think because life is so nuts. (laughs) (laughs) Like it's just overwhelming and and we want to do things to 
to ease the burden of that and soothe the pain. And so we buy things and drink things and eat things and, and do things and <laughs> that don't yeah, align with and, our values. And keep yeah. ourselves really busy so we don't have to listen to ourselves and we don't have to peel back those layers because change is scary. But I think we all kind of reach this tipping point for one reason or another where we say there has to be a better way. Yeah, and I'm exactly like you. Like, I need time by myself to be able to go out. Like, I'm more of an introvert. And once I recognize that, then I spent more time alone. And then I could go out and be social because I had been by myself. So it's so important to, like, figure out who you are and what makes you your best you. Um, And then trust yourself. Yeah, of course. You can really lose yourself in that process. So it's really good to step back. Yeah, you can. And I love that Jomo. I feel like now if I'm just at home watching a movie, I'm like, I'm enjoying this more than if I, if I was out. Um, you talk about, uh, or I just want to ask you, how has your gratitude changed since you've started owning less? Well, I have more attention for it, for sure. Uh, but also, once I stopped needing one more thing to complete my wardrobe or fix my life or make me feel happy or successful... I became even more grateful for what is in my life instead of thinking about what's missing from it. Uh, And that was kind of my go-to before. I I mean, I've always been a a gratitude practicer, I guess, but it changed so dramatically when it wasn't, you know, I'm grateful for this and I can't wait to get this, or I'm grateful for this, but I can't wait till this thing in my life happens. I can be grateful right now for what is right in front of me, even if nothing's in front of me and it makes me just really happy and, and kind of pulls me back from that pursuit of more. It's the hand on heart exercise that you do every morning goes hand in hand with that. Definitely. Yeah, literally. (laughs) You, you also have a chapter in your book called a meaningful morning routine. I'm all about the morning routines. We've actually done a podcast on it. Um, what's your morning routine now and why do you think it's so important to have one? It's changed for me over the years. When I first started, uh, my life was much busier. I was in a different stage of life and I had very little time in the morning. So it started off as like five minutes, um, and then 10 minutes and eventually it was a half hour. And that was a lot, uh, for me to give to myself in the morning, but it was enough But now that I have more flexibility with my work and um, my life situation has changed where my daughter's grown and lives on her own, uh, I can spend a couple of hours sometimes in my morning routine. And it also changes depending on the season. So if it's warm out, I typically include a walk outside. If not, I do more reading. Uh, But typically I'll include um, the hands-on heart practice some form of meditation, yoga, writing, always writing, uh, walking or stretching or just hanging out and, you know, having that time for myself before I open my email or before I cook breakfast or check social media or anything like that uh, to be able to start with me makes a big difference in how I navigate the day. And I think that's one of the things that's most important is you know, you're reminding yourself that you're worth taking care of by putting yourself first. And then you almost underreact to things during the day because you can, when things get either heated or stressful or something that you want to react to, you can revisit your morning routine just in your mind and go back to that place. And it, it kind of centers you and, and pulls you back a little bit. You provide a lot of fantastic advice there as well. Going for a walk, Lauren stresses that constantly. I mean, it, you know, your day starts with your morning, and so the morning routine is very, very important. But there's other elements of the day where you need to step back as well uh, and focus on self-love and self-care, as you said. Now, today, would you say that you've now designed your version of the ideal life? I don't know. I've never really thought about it that way. <laughs> I mean, it's, it's a great life for me. Mm-hmm. What I love is how you describe your everyday. It's it's like there has been a plan behind it. It's been thought through. Uh, and, you know, you seem very happy when you talk about it. I think a lot of people, they would start with, oh, I'm stressed or, oh, I'm busy. It's 
hey, you know, this is how I spend my time and, and this is why I'm less reactive in tough situations because I'm more calm because I'm living out my, you know, preferred every day. Yeah, it's so sure. refreshing to have such a different perspective on it. Yeah. You hear something different. So I'm moving into a little bit of a different direction and focusing on the millennial generation. Lauren and I like to stress that uh, millennials are specifically popularizing brands that are local, organic, sustainable, and quality focused, all values that align with the minimalist mindset. Do you think that our generation and future generations uh, will move in the direction of minimalism? I certainly hope that's the case. Um, but then I also look at, you know, that there's kind of a slippery slope there too, because we're still talking about shopping and consuming. Right. So it, it needs to still have that mindful approach, even if it is organic and local and well-made, those are all great reasons to buy something, but if you don't need it, it doesn't matter. Absolutely. And I also like to stress to my friends and my family that, Minimalism is, is, you know, as a minimalist, we still need to buy things. <laughs> so, sure. so it's just being intentional about the things that we're buying. But I would say, I would argue that a lot of my peers love the idea of minimalism because it'll save them money, but also it helps them basically refocus their attention on things that align with their values. And sure. a lot of the time that is being environmental and that's Lauren's actually that's one of her her main goals for this year uh, and, and it's, it's so important I would say majority of our, our our followers are always mentioning mentioning that like could you speak more on that topic because it's it's a big part of living uh, or living more with less so is that have you focused on that at all or yeah definitely um, more and more not in the very beginning not so much although I have to say that I mean, one of the best ways that you can be more environmentally friendly is just to consume less overall. Yeah, that in itself is such a huge step. But the more I step into this and the more my life changes, the more open I am to working on different areas of of the consumption that is still in my life. Beautiful. What are a couple of the greatest advantages uh, that come from living a soulful and more simplified life? Well, I think kind of going back to some of the things that we've talked about, you know, really knowing who you are and trusting yourself. I think that has to be at the very top of the list because it allows you to make better decisions, to invite the right people into your life and to create, you know, work and other things that align with who you are. Absolutely. Uh, That's, that has to be the most important part of this whole thing. And I think by lowering stress, uh, we can live healthier lives physically and and mentally as well. I mean, not that it's a cure-all by any means, but it helps. As one of the, are one of our favorite thought leaders in the space, when it comes to your work in minimalism, what impact would you like to leave on others? I think if anything, I want to make it approachable for people and let people know that they can do it their own way, that there's not like one blueprint for a minimalist life or simplicity. Like it's going to look different for everyone and that you should approach it in the way that works best for you and your family. Absolutely. So is that going into our closet and decluttering? Is it meditation? Is it clearing all of the virtual clutter? There's so many ways. What would you recommend? It's going to be different for everyone. That, that starting point is going to be different and how it unfolds is going to be different. And there's no place for comparing it to anyone else's version uh, because everyone's lives are so different and we're all so different. So I think the only way through is to really support each other in, in doing what's best for us. Well said. It really is a template for your ideal life. It's just an opportunity to live a more simplified and meaningful every day. And as, as part of that, uh, what is your hope? What is your hope for the future uh, of this lifestyle? Do you, 
what what can we do um, as as individuals who and as millennials who are heavily focused on this lifestyle and really passionate about living this way and, and inspiring others to take on this lifestyle? What would you hope that we can do in terms of building a ripple effect? Well, the best way to do that is to show people how meaningful it is by living your best and, and most true life. Uh, I think that, of course, we can share stories and books and podcasts and documentaries and all of those things, but just go live it. Like, go live it. And if you are giving back and consuming in different ways and you're happier as a result, people are going to notice and they're going to want to know what's, what's up. And you'll benefit from that, of course, as well. That's so well said. Yeah, it's I literally <laughs> spreading the energy out there, showing people rather than telling them. Inspiring uh, them. Yeah, and inspiring them. And I, it's, it's funny that you say that uh, because my mom, initially she was kind of pushed back by the idea and now she's really incorporated minimalism into her lifestyle. And it was because she just saw the changes that I was making and she was like, wow, like I see the value in this and rather than me yeah rather than me telling her hey mom you're doing this wrong you need to change I didn't I just you know bettered myself and she's now doing the same so it's incredibly rewarding and um I think that's it so we really really appreciate your time today it was a really great discussion yeah thank you so much for doing the interview and we both loved your book so thank you yeah I was I actually mm. listened to your audio version, and I listened to it twice. I love that you you narrate the book, which is a plus. Yeah, that was actually a really fun experience. Yeah, Kelly was saying how calming your voice is. <laughs> I was telling her, because I had read it when right when it had come out, and I would read it in the morning with my coffee, and I was just so zen all day after it. So <laughs> it was such a good book. That's great. I love that. <laughs> Are, do you have an upcoming book uh, focused on Project 333? I do. It's coming out in the spring of 2020, so mm-hmm. it's a ways out, but the okay. book is – I've finished writing it uh, and moving into the editing phase hopefully over the next couple of months. Oh, that's so exciting. Yay. I'm glad. Is there anything else that you'd like to share? No, this was great. Thank you so much. Okay, perfect. Thank you so much for your time, and we will be in touch. Yeah, we'll All be right, in touch. Good. Thanks so Cheers. much, Courtney. All Bye-bye. right, take care, guys. Bye. Bye bye.